Today on the Dolby Institute podcast, I sit down with writer-director Nita Manzur and the creative team behind one of this year's biggest breakout hits at the Sundance Film Festival. I'm talking about the coming-of-age drama, comedy, thriller, martial arts extravaganza, Polite Society. This movie is showing in theaters right now, and you should check it out because it was one of my favorite movies at the Sundance Film Festival this year. Here's the trailer. I'm Rhea Khan. I'm going to be a stunt woman. My sister Lena is the only person who believes in me. Wanna help me with a vid for my channel? Please! She helps me with all my training. You are going to be such a great stunt woman. That was dope though. But lately, she's been seeing this guy who I think is a bit of a smarmy wanker. Lena, it's a trap. Oh my god, Rhea, chill out. Now, I'm not being dramatic, but these people are evil. Joining us is the writer, director, and first-time feature filmmaker Nita Manzur, director of photography Ashley Connor, sound designer and supervising sound editor Jay Price, and re-recording mixers Simon Hill and Tushar Manik. We'll be discussing how this team managed to make such a dynamic action film with truly epic fight sequences with a very small crew and even smaller indie budget during a COVID wave. All that and more on today's podcast. Stay tuned. Let's dive right in. Nita, my first question is for you. This is your first feature film, but your, your British TV show, We Are Lady Parts, opens uh, with an all-female, all-Muslim punk band singing a, a song with the, the lyric, and I want to make sure I get this right, uh, I'm going to kill my sister because I, apparently she stretched out the, the singer's shoes with her big feet. So, <laughs> And Polite Society also explores, I think, a, a really complicated relationship between the two main characters who are the sisters, uh, Rhea Khan and Lena. So as a, as a storyteller, what is it about that territory of sisterly rage that you find so, so compelling to explore? Oh uh, yeah, no, that that's the correct lyric. Um, I, I, you know, I have an older sister who um, I'm very close to, and you know, female friendships and sisterhood is a theme that I I'm drawn to because it's been so formative for me as a human in the world, but also something I don't see is sort of celebrated enough in TV and, and film. So it's it's always exciting, and, and you know, rage as it relates to women is something that's complicated you know oftentimes you're you're so socialized into society where you know anger isn't becoming for a woman and so it's it sort of becomes a sort of strange emotion you carry around with you but it's is there so it's really fun to get to kind of go there with the action scenes in in polite society but also with the sort of punk music in the show because it's it's cathartic it's something that i'm i'm excited to do because it feels like something that I, I was struggling with um, growing up. The thing I think that I responded to so strongly about the film is is the way you, know, you navigate the tone. It's it's so you're so deliberate and so accomplished in the way you use tone to tell this story, and it's it's a really kind of a high wire act for a filmmaker. But you're mixing so many different genres here. You've got action, comedy, paranoid thriller, coming of age drama. And and in with that, you intersperse some surprisingly brutal fight scenes between these girls. So I would love for you to talk about how you navigate the tonal shifts of the film and maybe how you use cinematography and sound design to help you do that. You know, it starts with the script and the redrafting it and finding it there, but really it's found 
in post, in the edit, um, how we're cutting, the rhythm to which we're cutting, finding the right music, the right score. But then again, you know, with Ash, working with Ashley, we were like, how are we shooting this? And I mean, Ashley will speak more. It's like, what's the style? What's the, you know, whose film is it? And I think we, I don't know, Ashley will speak more about it, but we approached this thinking, it's like, this is Rhea Khan's film. And like, if a teenage, if this teenage girl was making it, how would it feel? And that's how we approached it. And then again, the sound was so crucial in, in sort of getting audiences on board for, for people feeling that they could see what it is. It's just, you know, not only the design, the score, it, all of it working together. Um, it was just, it, it became so important because as we were test screening it, we could feel where audiences weren't going with us tone, you know, tonally. And then we, all we had was the edit, the sound, you know, to kind of find it and sort of, sort of play around with it and see, see how we could sort of bring audiences with us. So um, it was so much due to, due to those things. I mean, I shall tell you, I wasn't so keen on doing the zooms, but now I'm like, why don't we zoom on everything? Cause I'm like, it was so much fun. It was so silly, but also evoked something of an old thriller as well. Yeah. Ashley, you want to jump in and talk about, um, I, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot on this show about is, is the first 10 minutes of the film and how, you know, the audience comes to you with such a sense of goodwill. They want to have enough, a great time. And you really have that first like 10 minutes to kind of explain to them the cinematic language that you're going to use to tell the film. And this first 10 minutes is pretty rich. So, you know, Ashley, I'd love for you to talk about how you developed uh, with Nita that, that kind of signature visual style of the film. Well, I think, you know, reading the script, you know, it just kind of jumps off the page that this is going to be playful. This is going to be fun. It was a character that I felt, you know, and I've talked about this a lot in interviews, like I would have loved to have seen this movie as a teenager. And so I think starting from that place of like, what did we love when we were teenagers? What kind of cinema were we watching? And how to kind of embrace that stylistically and also challenge that to be grounded in Rhea's actual story, which is, you know, a teenage girl wanting to be a stunt woman. And we knew tonally, you know, leading up to the first fight in the, obviously people can see the trailer, people can see that this is a fight movie, but until you kind of build up to that first fight, it was, it was a big question of how do we bring people into this tone? How do we be playful? How do we use rack focusing to kind of bring everybody into the energy of that this film is going to speak back to its audience and be in conversation with the audience? And it was so fun to kind of design for that moment, like the first moment when they finally do a karate move and get into their positions, it, everything was building up to that moment. So it was just kind of questioning, how do we make it as playful and fun leading up to this moment? Because people might not know that she's going to jump off a wall. And not only is it going to be, you know, a fight scene, it's going to be wired fights and that was something that was so exciting for, I think, Nita and I, who grew up loving wirework movies, who grew up loving martial arts movies. And so, yeah, it was just kind of really exciting. And I had just kind of come off of a more austere project. And I was really looking to, <laughs> I wanted zooms, I wanted pan, like whips, I wanted kind of everything because it felt like so much fun to play in Rio's world. You brought up that initial fight scene, Khan versus Kovacs, which uh, uh, was just took us by surprise when it comes up in the film. But before we before we show that clip and, and kind of dive in that sequence, Jay, I'm kind of curious from your perspective as the the sound designer and the supervising sound editor, when this came into you, 
I mean, what 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 possibilities did you immediately see in terms of sound design? And can you tell us a little bit about maybe your initial conversations with Nita as you spotted the film and about what the what she wanted to get out of the sound design of the film? I think the first conversation I had with Nita kind of went to see you in the edit room. And I think your brief was like, this is so much work, but it's going to be so much fun. And that was kind of set off the tone. And that's how the kind of whole journey was. And I think, as being said, it's about getting into Rhea's head and into her world. And, you know, and that gives us the freedom to be much more flexible to play with what we hear. And as soon as we established that, you know, her, her world's vibrant, it's fun, it's funny, it's serious. And using sound to kind of hype, really heighten that was kind of the focus and, yeah, the real joy to experiment and play with throughout. Oi! Stunt woman. Show us a stunt then. Piss off, Kovach. I've had enough of your shite for one morning. Minus 10 house points. Insubordination. You can't minus house points. Oh. I think you'll find I can. Leave it, Rio. Yeah, come on, let's go. It's not worth it. No. Let's dance. Suit yourself then. Kovacs versus Khan! People, Khan versus Kovacs! Damage the school property. Minus 10 house points. You know, the tone, I think one of the things that I found so surprising about this is, you know, Ashley, you, you were talking about like that first, that first moment when she kicks off the wall and it's, and then you realize, oh, this is going to be a wire fight sequence. And then she gets grabbed and thrown into the trophy and it just, it shatters and everything goes everywhere. And it, it was just such a shocking moment. It was like, oh, this is, this is actually not going to be a cartoon sort of fight sequence. This is actually, this has physics and people are going to crash into things. It's actually surprisingly violent and brutal, especially when you think you're watching two teenage girls. So, Nina, I would, I mean, first of all, I want to, I want to talk about this sequence because I know you guys also shot this during like the Omicron surge of COVID. So can you just talk a little bit about that, that, that sequence and how difficult it was to shoot? And I, I, I can't even imagine because also, also you, you know this is a you're a relatively low budget indie film, but you've got all these huge fight sequences, right? So, Nita and Ashley, can you talk a little bit about the process of shooting this stuff? It was so fun prepping it, <laughs> I'll say, um, and us kind of going into rehearsal and figuring out how we wanted to shoot it, what kind of you know when we when we wanted to cut wide, and we really storyboarded that fight because, as you say, it's like we don't have a lot of time. Girls were dropping like flies. All the girls around in that that sort of library were going down with COVID. So there's zero girl continuity there, but no one's looking out for it. So that's great. And Ash, why did we decide to shoot on location? Okay, well, 
<laughs> you know, I, I get asked because everyone's like, what was the hardest thing to shoot? And that was, you know, I was truly dying. Um, but sometimes when you walk into a, a location, you know, we were with Simon Walker, we were with our, like our whole creative department and it's a, it's an incredible location. It's two floors. It had a beautiful chandelier. It had 360 windows. I'm also pointing out things that I should have been like, don't do this to yourself. But sometimes you just see a location. It's like, I'd never seen a round library like this. And I was like, everyone was so excited. And I was like, I'll make it work. So, you know, we start day one, just so we know what this week was like. Our Monday were all the wides. So all the background, I think we had between 40 and 50 girls. So we're like, let's get all the wides before we do the wire work. And then we shot two days in the school while they built the wire rigging and we came back. And in that time period, girls were dropping. And (laughs) so also, you know, it's winter, it's December. um, You know, we're shooting before the sun comes up. We're shooting after the sun goes down. And this is a lower budget, you know, luckily my gaffer, Gordon Goodwin, you know, we had big 18Ks on lifts outside, but at the end of every day, we're, I'm putting silks against the window and blowing them out. And we're just trying to balance everything. Um, And with all the girls going down, you know, that last two days, we had about like 12 background and maybe two PAs who were able to put on the outfits And we were just moving them to shot and asking our special effects supervisor, like how we could do people and what we could do. And it was, it was, but it was, it was also one of our favorite fight scenes because, you know, the trajectory of the fight scenes, they get progressively more violent. Every fight scene kind of had a purpose. Every fight scene had a point of view for where Rhea is on her emotional journey. And, you know, she gets beat up most of the time. Um, so we really wanted to visually kind of speak differently in all the fight scenes. And this one was just kind of like, it was the silliest fight and it had so many comedic elements. And so we wanted to kind of play up the style, but it was definitely a difficult shoot, but we love, I mean, I love how the fight turned out. It's so fun and you get to watch her, you know, again with Priya, the actress, I'm a martial artist. I'm a black belt. I understand how difficult it is and to watch these girls train and to watch them day in and day out, get these moves done and be able to do these kicks, which are really tough. It was just so inspiring and they got on set and were just so enthusiastic to keep going and keep doing it. And so it really gave the crew a unique energy. I was curious about that. Cause I'd read that I'd read about uh, the fact that you're a black belt, uh, in, in a previous interview. And I was just curious about, um, you know, was that actually, did the, I wondered, did that help motivate the actors? You know, if they could, they could look to you and sort of say, well, you know, she's got experience doing this. Let's, let's, let's open this up and have some fun with it. I, th- I mean, Niva and I are both, you know, have studied martial arts. So, and I think it's something that's, we really love, but, you know, we always kind of talked about, you know, the difference between watching an actor kick and like watching a kick And I think Priya really got there, which was so cool to see her get there that like these kicks had a force behind them. They had a power, they had inertia. And I think that, you know, we looked at a lot of, um, I'm gonna forget the name right now, the Soderbergh movie, Haywire. 
you know, when you watch Gina like kick, that has force behind it. And so it was always like, yes, there's a kick that looks good on screen, but then there's a forceful kick. And it was so great to watch her practice and get better and really inhabit this role in her own unique way. That's why it was so imperative that she could do these moves because she brings so much character to how the stunts work. Jay, Simon, Tushar, tell us a little bit about this first fight sequence and kind of how you approached it. And, uh, and I, I, Nita, you know, alluded earlier that a lot of the tone was kind of arrived at during post-production. So I'm kind of curious about the, the explorations in the mix. And did you go down some rabbit holes that didn't end up working out? And just walk us through uh, the, the, the design and mix process for the sequence. I'd say in terms of the effects, although a lot of it is obviously the hits and the punches, I'd say from a sound design point of view, it was creating the reactions from the girls around them. Kind of a lot of that was built in post. We kind of had a bed of stuff recorded on the day. Um, but I think obviously due to COVID and stuff, there wasn't that much time. So a lot of that was picked up afterwards. And kind of shaping that was kind of a big thing to try and get that kind of right. That's one thing we spent a lot of time with, shaping that. And Jay's got it. Mean, I work with Jay um, on Lady Parts, and he throws in the wildest sound effects. It's like, I mean, you know, he puts down so much cool stuff, which is why it's so exciting to, to work with these guys because it's sort of like, you know, most of them are like, whoa, that's too much. But then there's like this amazing soundscape. You know, it's so it's so playful, and then he's always kind of like putting in a fun, cool, like eagle screeches. I feel like you threw that in, like all this sort of texture and silliness came from Jay just being like throwing in so many ideas, like everything is in there. And then us sort of like falling in love with like various sounds and then reusing them in different fights and, you know, signifying a fight was gonna gonna come with something again, we had to, we had to find because before it would just be like, all of a sudden they'd break out into fighting without that much of a kind of, way in and so much of that came from the work that, that these guys did in sort of finding those fun sounds that also signified you know smackdown is about to happen. the eagle screech can we just talk about the because i feel like when i heard the eagle screech i was like okay we've been live. like okay there it is <laughs> and that's just entering her headspace isn't it and she's kind of full of these just yeah how to say don't don't say cliches but they kind of just yeah embrace the the classics certainly for these things yeah and it's it's amazing like um i think as you pointed out nina you had this relationship with jay and when the sound effects tracks came to me it was like oh my god what is this like i've got every option like i've got six options for everything and then you know it was it was a big challenge but then i got now look we're gonna now chisel away there was a few places where you know, there was sound design going on, but at the same time, music. And, you know, we just had to just dive in. And I think, you know, Nita it all in her head, even though she says she didn't, um, that, you know, what she wanted to wear. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, it was it was fun. Like, you know, I think Jay probably took, you know, having worked with Nita before and, and you know, sort of what she said in the spotting session had, like, millions of ideas. I mean, I'm jumping the gun, I think, especially for all the titles. <laughs> oh, my God. How many options did we try? <laughs> And how many things Jay had there? Some really funny things, some, you know, very bold things. And yeah, we just kept playing with him. But yeah, sorry, that's the title. So I'll probably, we'll probably come back to those. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I did, you know, Nita, I had a question for you about um, how you arrived at, at that idea of using the, the chapter titles, which I thought was just wonderful. And even, you know, when you bring up Con versus Kovacs, like 
you know, it it almost then becomes like a, like a throwback to like a Tarantino film or an old West or so you, sort of. I'm just so interested in, in the way you were playing with the genre of that. Where did that idea come from? And, and was that something that was immediately obvious to you that you wanted to embrace? No, I don't think there were any titles in the script. I think maybe the Eid's Wire was like a random one, one title and then I didn't have any others. But I think it came to helping us with tone to be like, this is a silly, fun movie. And because it's a film that loves films, it felt kind of in keeping with what, you know, what the whole movie was doing. Um, and again, thinking of it as Rhea's film, she would have massive titles. That was always like my, my North Star was like, what would Rhea do in this moment? Oh yeah, slap on a huge title with her name, um, which, is, which is why it kind of works as a kind of playfulness. Again, it like just keeps it playful. Um, and there's something about the chapter headings that made for me made it feel like a tale. Like I wanted it to feel like this is a story being told. This is um, you know, there's there's a kind of yeah, a tale being told by a teenage girl, um, but a teenage girl who loves action movies. And again, we got to have extra jokes with those titles as well, which is you know, if there's an extra joke to be had, we'll have we'll take it. Simon, can you talk a little bit about the music? There's some, there, I, there's great music uh, in in the film, and that, uh, you know, as I was watching again recently, I made a couple of notes. I think, you know, the, I, I'm so intrigued by the the interplay of not only the score but the source music, which is fantastic, uh, and the sound design uh, of the film. Uh, I think one of my favorite sequences was the the laptop heist sequence in the in in the gym. And in terms of the playfulness of the music, so I'd love to get your your take on the music for the film and and how you integrated it and wove it into the film. Yeah, great question. Uh, I think Ashley has said this word a few times, and, and Jay's mentioned it as well. And the music has it all over it. It's just fun. It's that magic F word that's just brought to the film. Um, the the score that's been designed. It went through a lot of different revisions from from the stuff I was getting in the early attempts into what we got to the final. Um, and each time, it just kind of got more and more fun. Uh, it, just in terms of instrumentation, I think there's a lot of um, little moments throughout fights where we poke through these little sort of guitars doing U-bends or little horn stabs that are coming through. And we just went through sort of picking those bits out, uh, almost like they're, they're also telling parts of the story that are happening. When a girl gets kicked through her, her bedroom door, yeah, sure, we'll just pump up the guitar there for just a little lick or something, um, which is amazing. Uh, it's, it's quite difficult and challenging to get some of those score cues through in the fight scenes, um, especially when you've got ADR grunts and groans and ninja kicks and punches and whooshes and bangs. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to just spend a lot of time, which is kind of challenging going through the stems of every bit of music, lining it up against everything you've got in the scene and just ducking and weaving between the two. Um, those are the, those are the most challenging scenes because you, you don't, you take a lot of time doing that. Um, and there's not as much time to sort of sit back and just watch the whole thing on the run. Uh, not least because the time involved in going through almost frame by frame sometimes and, and automating volume down underneath dialogue lines, but also because those scenes can be quite loud. Uh, and if you listen to them over and over again, uh, you'll probably just lose your mind. Um, as, as to the source music, I mean, Nita has to take credit for that. That's, that's the sort of Bollywood influence coming in that you just don't see in this kind of filmmaking, this sort of British level of humor, and banter and teenage schoolgirl stuff with just these amazing tracks that at times are quite hard to balance because a lot of them are, are kind of uh, aged in their production. So they're quite mid-rangey. 
um, which is going to sound nerd speak for, it sounds quite harsh sometimes. So you end up scooping a lot of stuff out. Um, but we managed it and it also gave a lot of low end for the, uh, the inevitable chapter title sounds that we put in, which I think was the, the, was that the last day or the penultimate day we were kind of sat there going, oh yeah, these are really big music bits and the chapters come through. But what if we just turned up the chapter sound about 20 DB? What would that feel like? (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) And he was like, can we have a bit more? And then he's like, a bit more. And, and, and I was a bit worried then. And then we played it in different rooms as well. And like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's so amazing that, that that was a late decision because it feels like it's such a just such a part of the DNA of the story that you're telling. Um, I've got some questions that I want to follow up about that, but Nita, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your selection of the source music and kind of what, what guided you and, and, and how you use the source music in the film. Yeah, I mean, I lo- you know, music is my first passion, so it's sort of like sort of up there, music and sounds up there with everything else in filmmaking, so it was it was key um and you know i've been writing this film for over 10 years so i have like an epic long you know insane playlist that has been evolving over those 10 years but you know it's yeah it was so important in setting up the tone we had a great music supervisors who were sending us all these cleared old bollywood songs that we could use and like so we were sort of sifting through that and i was working really closely with my editor robbie morrison who's also a big music head so between us we were just listening to music half the time and sort of cutting to different tracks and seeing what felt what felt right because you know it's it's a character in the film the the music the sound sound design it's it's its own thing it and it's working so hard I don't think people appreciate how hard the music and sound design is working to set the tone because I've seen test screenings where we didn't have that and it's been atrocious. Audience has been like, this is so weird. What's happening? Why are you doing this? You know, once we had we had no music and no sound on that sister fight and it was like upsetting for people. Um, so it's again, like actually really important. Um, and what Simon was saying, it's really hard because I wrote a lot of wrote a lot of dialogue in those fight scenes, mainly because I wanted to make sure none of the execs could cut them. If I write important dialogue in them, you can't cut the fights. But it just made it a bit of a nightmare for you guys to like for some to, to mix it when it's like big guitar music and then like a little whispered line. It's like, how the hell are you just there doing all that? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, so it's just really a testament to this guy's amazing, amazing work. Um, so somehow you hear the dialogue, but then you feel the big impact of the fights as well. Simon and, and Tashara, I'd love to hear you uh, speak more about this, but it, it, what I'm hearing from you was that the mix was a time of great experimentation and trying a lot of different ideas and fine tuning the approach. And of course that just takes time, right? So, you know, how, how much time did you have on the, on the mix for the film? And uh, 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 did you feel like you had adequate time to try some ideas and, go down some rabbit holes and come back. I was kind of lucky that I got into the studio just ahead of the first temp mix. I think I did about five days on the studio getting in, getting the dialogue in shape and getting some wacky vocal processing on them. Um, things like when Rahila is uh, sort of shouting through the corridors for Rhea as she's running away, just putting big delays and reverbs on those kind of things. The almost Street Fighter-esque Tekken style uh, sounds that they make when they pull a karate pose. We just put you know, H delay or something to, to ricochet those through. Um, so some of that was built in the in the sort of pre-temp mix. But in the final, I think we had about two weeks. Um, the first few days, I think me and Tushar just kind of blitzed through the film as quickly as possible, getting it in shape, making you, you sure you could hear the dialogue and the ADR that was there, making sure all the sound effects from Jay were up there. 
the remaining time I think was was I hate to use the dreaded f word again, but it was just fun. We were just playing with it, uh, taking things in, putting things out. Um, hats off to Jay because a lot of uh, sound designers would hate having their sounds removed, but he was well up for it. Uh, and also when extra sounds were, were requested, Jay's right on it. He sat at the back of the room like, yeah, yeah, what can I put in? A yeah. rattlesnake? Sure, I'll put that in. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I was just going to pay homage to the uh, the sound of uh, a condom being filled up with fake semen. Like, if you ever wonder what that was, it's in the film, courtesy of Jay Price. Fair play, man. Yeah, Jay, you want to walk us through that uh, through that sequence? And uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I must say, with the, with the effects, I worked quite closely with someone called Dario Suede, and and that was uh, that was a Dario special. That one with the. Uh... Well, there, there seems like there's a story here. Was it cake batter or what? what, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, there was. I think Foley had a go, and we had a few different attempts at it, but I think uh, it's just thick and liquidy was the. Uh, and it's the stretch was the uh, oh yeah, and, and, and the, the tying up sound, the kind of yeah. tying up. that was that <laughs> was your best. Well, right? I mean, as much detail went into that sort of thing in terms of adding comedy uh, as, as it did to the punches and that, and that's I think added a lot. And you know, we talk about the sound design and the mix and these ideas. We had a few temps, which was really useful for us to play with ideas. Then they went back to the cutting room, and Nita and Robbie. They're just as bad as me for throwing different stuff in in terms of that. And they came back with some crazy ideas as well. So a lot of this kind of backward and forth, um, which, yeah, which I think was really, it's a real asset to it. As Jay said, you know, I think it was really helpful, wasn't it? The, I think maybe we could have had more time for the final, but because of the temps we had, the test screenings that we had, Nida had already in her mind, she had decided what she liked and she used to call it the temp love for certain sounds. But, but yeah, she, she, you know, those tests really helped us, you know, sort of identifying certain signature, you know, points of how they will approach sound wise, really. So yeah, I think we had enough time, I think. You said that before the music and the sound effects came, that, that you showed it to some audiences and they found it very disturbing. It is a very violent and you know, I, I think one of the things that I was just a little surprised by was like, you know, when when Rhea gets smashed into the picture frame, uh, you know, repeatedly, you know, when her head gets smashed, and I just so I think you're, I think I know what, how you're going to answer this question, but I want to ask you about sort of like, how did you, how did you again back to tone? How did you know how far you could go without going too far, and what was your experimental process to sort of see how? How far can we go here? I wasn't sure how far I could go. You know, so much of this is just pure trial and error. And often it's just error, error, error. Um, but, you know, I'm glad the fight works for you. For some people, they just aren't ready for, to see that kind of violence between sisters. And I knew, I knew that it was kind of quite a polarizing scene for audiences because we get all this data after the test. Like it was the scene where people hated it the most and loved it the most. So then you're like, okay, cool. Maybe there's a way I can bring more people with me if I just set the tone better. But then you, they, they, you get, get to a point where it's like, it's just not for everyone. And that's cool. Um, but you know, that scene just felt so right. I don't know, you know, when you're just, I'm in therapy, it's fine. But when you're, <laughs> <laughs> when you're just, I really wanted my sister to be there because, you know, I found it really cathartic to, to have those two sisters fight. And because it's, it's, again, it sort of goes down to why I'm doing it. And I'm like, I'm doing it because, you know, when the person you love the most 
fight you fight with them they can hurt you the most you know and it's again that's why this fight needed to be bigger violence it needed to be the most destructive and it needed to be just messy and grapply because that's what it feels like when you fight with that person emotionally so i was sort of using that to kind of ground myself but just having i don't know i really got such a kick out of seeing her head being smashed going through the door honestly it's just so joyful i don't i don't know why it's great well i also i also think we talked about this and like i have two sisters and I'd love to like read the data points on the, I think the people who like the fight the most are the people who understand a sisterly relationship <laughs> and, you know, like the burn with the flat iron curler, like all these things, it was, you know, it's obviously a hyperbolic fight. It's the first fight with blood. And really, I think what we talked about a lot is, you know, your fight with your sister, it can be about something as stupid as, the biggest fight I've ever had with one of my sisters was over a party dress. And it's still an iconic line in my household. That's my party dress. And then like the world shatters. Um, But to us, it was about touching on what that means. It's like, it can be about something so silly and it can be the biggest fight of your life and really kind of taking those emotions and funneling them into a fight with your sister where, you know, they speak a lot of truths in the fight. They say a lot of things underlying. So it was really, how does the violence play into the dialogue here? And how does it really amplify it? And I love that it went violent. I think that there was a question about the blood. And it was like, no, it has to. Like, they have to make each other bleed because this is, you know, an exaggerated world. And I loved, again, I would like the data points on sisters who watch that fight and love it. So you bumped into him at the gym, huh? Really? No, I followed his movements and tracked him down. I wanted to meet him, seeing as he's my soon-to-be brother-in-law. What did I tell you about staying out of my life? Oops. It's interesting that you bring that up, right? Because if there was no if there was no blood, then it just would be a cartoon, right? And it wouldn't yeah. have it wouldn't have that emotional resonance. The first time you see blood, you're like, oh, this is actually real, right? Which is probably why some people were just Nita, I'm so I'm so interested. Like, did you get pushback from the studio about that? Did you did you have executives kind of say like, hmm, you might have gone too far there? No. Actually, not at all. They were kind of, I mean, they read the script, so they knew what was coming. And that was actually with the exec team, one of the favorite fights, just because I feel like it sort of lands an emotional punch as well, um, which was, so I didn't actually get any pushback. There are a couple of other other uh, uh, key sequences that I wanted to ask you about. And one of the things I, I was so intrigued by, you know, uh, you have such 
there's so much fantastical stuff in the film, but the sequence where Rhea discovers Salim's lab in the basement has a very distinct uh, look and also kind of sound treatment that's dis- very distinct from the rest of the film. So Ashley, maybe I'd, I'd love to start with you about uh, approaching the look of Salim's lab and how you design that. And then we can talk about sort of how how you guys filled out the soundscape down there. I mean, Simon and his team, Simon, the production designer and his team really, you know, they made this incredible set that was, you know, this beautiful set that they made and my lighting team and my electrics kind of rigged it. And we talked about fixtures and how to do that. But I feel like it really is this turning point in the movie where her fear becomes actualized. And I remember when they put, you know, the like wet body, (laughs) there's like an, and I found that so disturbing. Like there is something here that, you know, all of her fears are coming true. Everything is kind of coming true and it's coming true in an even more terrifying way than I think a teenager can really wrap their head around. And so, you know, again, the movie speaks so many tones, but we really wanted that to land as an actual scary place. You know, it doesn't, it's not just in her head. It's not just kind of silly fun. It takes this turn, this medical turn. And I think that that's an even scarier abstraction to realize. And so we really talked about bringing the colors down, bringing the pacing down and just kind of being with her, you know, so much of the, so much of the movie is about perspective and proximity to Rhea and her experience. And this was one where we wanted it to build to this final moment of her at the computer and kind of seeing that, you know, the stakes here have now gotten a lot higher and how that would feel to somebody who, okay, it's not just breaking up a marriage. It's not just getting your sister to be an artist. It's like, oh no, something very nefarious is happening here. And it feels much bigger than I thought it was. And so it was really toning down a lot of things to kind of just watch. And again, to watch Priya in these moments feel scared. And it was a scary set. (laughs) Sometimes you just get to walk into spaces and they actually feel like what you want them to feel like. And Simon and his team did such an incredible job. And I felt like that one was one with like the scary, they were maybe like baby lions in the liquid, everything. It was just so creepy and sterile. And I feel like so much of the film occupies a very warm space. Um, and suddenly this became very steely. Jay, tell us about the uh, creating the soundscape for that uh, for the lab. Well, when I first read the script, I read up to that point. I read up to where she takes the um, the offering uh, to Rahila. And then I, I think I got off the tube or whatever I was doing. And then I came back and I read the second half of the script from that point onwards. And I was just like... <laughs> That took a turn. I was, you know, I was watching. I thought I was reading a script about, you know, the schoolgirl who wants to become a martial artist, and it whoo, all changed up there. So I think this is such a huge turning point in the whole film, really, in terms of, as you know, as Ashley said, it's a realization that everything she thought and more. And from a sound point of view, it was a really fun thing to play with because it's about getting this balance of fear, but kind of an organic kind of life and that kind of story points in there about what has happened and getting the flashback it was very a some, something we kind of played with quite a lot and had a lot of fun with really and kind of exploring that but the main thing was just to really make sure we're navigating the, the narrative arc of what that scene is 
trying to get. Tell me about, you know, any, any specific, like what was your approach to ambiences? Did you feel like you needed to, like the, the images are so disturbing. Did you feel like you needed to kind of take that further with ambiences and, and sound effects or could you kind of like even play in counterpoint to it? Yeah, no, it was to really take it even further and add the stings as she hits kind of the, uh, the metal tray to the kind of jump out at her. I think we've got kind of breathing kind of apparatus in there because the, the idea is these are kind of like processed clo- um, clones that are kind of half half alive, half dead, not really kind of there and trying to push that element of it. And so we use a lot of sonic textures to try and kind of push that through instead of being more clinical, try and give that sense of, yeah, the, the, the laboratory ascent more than a clinical kind of place. And I think we also like drop the sound down when she first enters the lab rather than kind of amping it up immediately. You sort of built it. We just started with the sort of foot footsteps to give it that kind of vulnerable, oh, this is real. And then sort of you kind of built up all those, that, that incredible sort of soundscape. Yeah, we hear it from the other room, just kind of small sections of it. And as she kind of comes in, it just kind of envelops her. We're headed to the big climax, uh, which is the inevitable wedding of Lena and Salim. Uh, and this was a huge sequence with a really delightful dance number uh, right at, right in it. So, you know, I, I, Ashley, I would love for you to kind of talk about, you know, the, the way you approach shooting sort of the big, the big crowd sequences in the wedding. And I'm sure that was I'm sure that was a, a posed a series of challenges. I mean, we took over a space called the Battersea Art Center. Um, the green room, the like wedding room that Lena stays in and that they have a couple big fights was a set build because they had to do a lot of wire rigging there. Um, but really, again, this is like a testament to Simon, our production designer, and PC Williams, the costume designer. And they just had this incredible vision for these spaces. They knew they like if you saw. I mean, the space is beautiful, but if you saw what the space looked like, they really transformed it. And my uh, my rigging team, my electrics, you know, it was really like a pure collaboration between all departments on how to design the light of this space, how to highlight Simon's flowers, how to highlight that stage. And again, we were moving quite quickly, so there were going to be re-rigs, but we knew that the wedding was going to be large. We knew that we had... 50 foot techno crane. We had all these kind of, and we had to move through the space. It was always about moving. And, you know, we read through the design of the space and how they move and the timing of that and what that means. And so it was really kind of building up towards this fever pitch of the final showdown and this kind of Western like showdown and how to kind of build up to that moment. Um, and the Devda scene, I mean, there's so much to talk about at the wedding, you know, I, I feel like so inspired by PC's designs, the gorgeous costumes, you know, it was really, she designed each party, like the groom's side, the bride's side to have different color spaces. And it was really just such a beautiful thing to play in, to light, to really celebrate. And then the Devda scene, you know, this is obviously an homage to a very famous Bollywood scene. Nida had shown us all, and we wanted to really honor this one kind of Bollywood tradition. You know, we wanted to shoot through candles. We wanted it to move. We wanted to highlight the dresses and how this would play into the dance and the floor tiling. We knew we wanted a lot of overheads. And it was really kind of this love 
of a whole group of people growing up on Bollywood films to kind of honor that and to still have it be a teenager dancing and still have it be not the most perfect dance number, but on our own terms, how do we make it an homage to a Bollywood film that we shot in half a day? You know, we did not have that much time. Maybe it was three quarters of a day, but uh, so it was really, how do we do this dance number justice? And again, give as much shooting through candles and movement around her. And it's just so funny that, you know, the words are being highlighted by her actions. She's just kind of evil-eyeing. That's what we always call it. She'd be evil-eyeing Salim and really telling him that she's coming for him. I'm glad you brought that up, Nita. I wanted to ask you because she has some great looks. And I love like, you know, just... You know, uh, periodically you would just cut back to her like staring out the window at someone, and, and she, uh, the she has such a great face. I love how you built in those moments for her. Freya Kantar is an incredible talent, and I didn't know how good those moments would be until I saw them with her screwing her her face, and it's like elastic. So even in the in the wedding when she's she's able to look so beautiful and so, you know, we're all in awe of her, yet also be a, convey a teenager and, you know, all these Bollywood songs, there's always like the woman dancing and she's like making eye contact with the dude who sat down and watching. And it's all usually a bit like patriarchy gone wild. So it was really fun to get to be like, she's like, I'm going to, you know, mess you up and do all that. <laughs> it was kind of fun to kind of flip it in that terms um, rather than being sort of like, trying to seduce or something it was that was really fun and you know Priya's face man her her eye, one eyebrow as well as she's just she has it all and it just makes it all that all the more joyful to kind of shoot shoot her Ashley brought up the 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 costumes and uh guys I definitely when I saw when I saw that the wedding sequence I thought and I saw those costumes I you know my my sound nerd brain went off and I was like Hmm. I wonder how those costumes were for sound. Would tell, tell us about the tell us about the production tracks that came in from that sequence. Yeah, um, a mixed bag, <laughs> shall we say? <laughs> um, oh yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff was covered in ADR if we needed it. But given the time that we had, less ADR is used in the film than we shot, which I consider to be a bit of a success. To be honest, I think that's the way everything should go. Um, once we spend a bit of time on those tracks, we can clean them up enough to make them intelligible, uh, remove all the rustles. Uh, dialogue restoration has come a long way, even in the last two or three years alone. Um, it seems like everyone had a stab when they got into lockdown. They just thought, hey, I can probably write some AI that cleans up dialogue really well. Um, and it takes a bit of time to do it. But, you know, then we get to keep a lot of the recordings that were done that were otherwise a bit scratchy and harsh. Um and there you go. The authenticity of the performance, as well as the costumes, is all retained. If anything, I think uh, I remember. I remember we actually putting in some jewelry sounds back in, isn't it? Neither that because we were like, oh, we don't have enough because they're fully dressed up. We need more sounds. So we were adding more foley uh, that um, Jay had built, even on top of what foley people had done, just to enhance you know, the, the the fight sequences. It was the sort of swishing dresses and the sort of jingling jewelry. And at one point, it was like. I'm like what's that sound? It's like oh, it's bangles breaking. I'm like oh, <laughs> yeah. They added so much more than that than was actually there, which just really gave it so much texture. You know, you've crafted such a fantastic screen villain, villain in Rahila, and of course, like we build to that final fight sequence uh, with Rahila, uh, with Ria and Rahila, and. Uh, 
you know, that overhead kick, you know, the, the overhead flip is so amazing. Can you talk about shooting that sequence? And I understand you didn't have a lot of time for that, right? Oh God, Ash, do you remember how much time we had for that? But that, I remember you going up and saying up the camera and being so happy, like we've got the top shot. I mean, again, you know, to watch, to watch Priya do these moves, that's the other part of it is like you're really in you're really talking to the crew and designing your days and our wonderful first AD Claire Audrey, you know, they get exhausted. And I've done musicals and seen dance numbers and it's really like you have to be smart about where you put your emphasis. And I think we shot that over the course of a day and a half, the Rahila fight, which is, you know, a decent amount a decent amount of time for our schedule, but not that much time for such a involved fight with so much wire work. Um, so it was really about finding Priya's rhythm and flow and making it so that we could make it her do as many of the moves as possible and kind of not wearing her out. And so it was really fun kind of designing these days and getting into it and just watching her kind of dig deep. And that was one of the final things that we shot, like fighting for this overhead in the corner. And then I think truly there were so many moments where she'd do a move and then they'd call cut and the entire crew, you know, this room was also a room of mirrors. So not many people could be in the room, but then you just hear everyone around the entire stage break out into clapping. Cause it was just so joyous to watch her do it. And, <laughs> and Again, she just gets beat up. So, and you know, Nimra, who plays Rahila, who's like so evil, and she's just the best presence on set. She's so fun. She's the nicest person, but then to watch her kind of inhabit this character, this evil, campy, we kept on calling her a queer icon because of these gloves that sort of presented themselves and became their own character. And to watch her kind of inhabit this this space, it was just so thrilling. And I think that you really kind of, I always say what happens behind the scenes bleeds out into the front of camera and you can really feel the joy of everybody making that, that scene, especially just feel the joy and the pleasure in finally watching the scene. And, you know, we storyboarded, we did test shoots with cameras or with my iPhone, we cut it together. We would shoot the sequences and practice shots. And then to kind of see it all come together on set was so thrilling. Nita, I do. I, I want to ask you, you know, your intentions and what do you hope viewers and I would ask specifically young women um, take away from the film in terms of seeing themselves on the screen about representation uh, and and about you know the importance of seeing strong female characters on screen. Yeah, I mean, without wanting to sound cliched or anything, you know, it, I hope it kind of encourages people to make movies or do or fight or do whatever you want you know so much of the film is about a, a girl really believing in what she believes even though she goes too far she doesn't doubt herself she has such self-confidence in it you know it certainly isn't a version of myself it's a character that I look to for inspiration and it's always fun you know when you're in life being told you can't do something or it's not for you or um you don't belong to watch a film where this character does not feel or believe any of the of the above you know she believe fully believes she belongs and she fully believes she's going to be an action hero and save her sister you know it's 
it's inspiring to get to write a character and shoot a film that is all about this teenage girl. And there's something about it being, you know, in cinemas now um, that says like these characters, these stories are important. They belong on the big screen um, and that there's just something just joyful in, in seeing that. Well, a final question, Nita, what's next for you? Um, are you going to do a, a Marvel or a Star Wars? nice yes very good very good i mean i'm waiting for the call um but until then i'm doing lady pot series two um with these guys again um which will be fun and and yeah just getting back into that that space before hopefully another movie another bigger more fun more bloody action film with lots more women you know being rageful that's fantastic. Well, uh, I have every confidence that that call is going to come, and uh, <laughs> we cer- we certainly hope that the next one uh, we can help you out, you get you guys out, and 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 do it in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos for an even more spectacular uh, experience. Well, I just want to say, kind of one last thing with this is like you know, Nida's passion and drive and fun and energy, it just drives it all. I mean, certainly in terms of everything we did through the mix, and I suspect that was the same on set, and it's just such fun environment to work in it's just like very collaborative and just yeah it's yeah real joy yeah Thanks, and i think i think i think that comes through on screen uh, a lot and that so much of that comes from the way that you yeah you operate and the way that you interact and how we kind of you know you bought you um give a lot of freedom to people and you know and ideas and yeah and i think it works really well Thank you guys so much for coming on the show today and talking to us about Polite Society. Again, we love this movie uh, and 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 we're really curious, very, very curious to see what this team does next and where you go. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show and talking to us about this really, really wonderful movie. Thank you. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having us. Great. Many thanks once again to Nita, Ashley, Simon, Jay, and Tushar. And thanks again to our friends over at Focus Features who put this interview together and gave us those amazing clips. And if you haven't already, please make sure you're subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. You can find links to our show on all the major podcasting platforms in our show notes, or you can simply search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. If you're curious to know more about the Dolby Institute, head on over to dolbyinstitute.com. There you will find information about all of our programs. You can access the entire library of episodes of this podcast, and you can sign up for our mailing list. Until next time, Thanks again for joining us. This is the Dolby Institute podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry, with additional editing by Matt Nixon. And our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thanks for listening.